Georgian Bay Roots on the radio, the official show of summer folk with words and music and so much more. AM 560, Sundays at 4, Sundays at 4, Sundays at 4, unless there's a hockey game on and then we'll be on after the hockey game. Sundays at 4, thank you very much. Georgian Bay Roots Radio. We tried something new for Summer Folk in 2019. We hosted live interviews with artists at the festival in front of an audience. I was lucky enough to sit down with Juno and Canadian Folk Music Award winners Ferris and Jason Romero to talk about everything from making music in small towns to making musical instruments, being parents in a music scene, and where their songs come from. This is my full interview with Ferris and Jason. You may have heard part of it on the podcast and on the radio last week. This is the full thing. Uh, we're going to start off with some music from Ferris and Jason, and we'll close off with some music from them as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Georgian Bay Roots. My name is John Farmer, and this is Ferris and Jason Romero.
Ferris and Jason Romero, welcome to Owen Sound. Welcome Thanks. to Georgian Bay Roots. We are so happy to be here. How's the festival treating you so far? I saw some folks falling in love with you at the at the Down by the Bay stage a little earlier. Oh, that's like the best feeling in the world. Thank you. <laughs> that's, I think the festival has been kind of magical so far. We came in last night at 1 a.m. and the hospitality room was still open and had cheese, and so I was happy. And then we woke up and we got here and we've eaten some amazing food and played on some incredible stages with people. This is our, our third interview and two workshops today within a span of a short amount of time. So we're feeling pumped up. <laughs> and popular, no doubt. Uh, it feels great. It's awesome. So you folks have recently garnered yourself a Juno Award. We Well-deserved, if I may say so. And this latest album being one that was, to my understanding, all original music which is a bit of a departure because you've done so well over so many years in bringing kind of old-time songs and sounds to recordings. What inspired an album of entirely original music? Do you want to speak to that? Uh, you go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you go Ferris ahead. Is, the, is the wordsmith of the family. Um, and so it, almost every song that... Um, that we do is one of Ferris's songs. I like to teaser with co-writes. If I change a chord or maybe uh, change a word here and there, but um, she's the she's the wordsmith, and I'll let you because we definitely had um, some inspiration from this last album. Yeah. Well, we you know in the years before we've always made records that were. Uh, a good mixture of public domain, primarily stuff, stuff that either either the author had passed away or they didn't know who the author was. Traditional music is such a vague definition when we're trying to actually define what that means, but um, a lot of traditional stuff. And then I'm I've been a songwriter for years, but more in the vein of um, of other folky, you know, more '60s revival style folk. That was always my style. So when Jason and I met, we'd pl- he was so firmly ensconced in the old time and early bluegrass world you know when you meet someone who believes in the power of the music so firmly and they don't really deviate from that music occasionally you know he'd put on some lead belly or some some other some rolling stones was a really good common commonplace rolling stones and beatles for us but otherwise it was a lot of really scratchy old recordings for both of us things where the scratches are louder than the music itself, and you're trying to decipher what's going on. And right after we met, I sent him a, co- a recording that was by a band called Hoyt Ming and his Pep Steppers. And I don't know if any of your any of your listeners are familiar with that band, but they really were a seminal band because the pep stepping was Hoyt Ming's wife with her feet making the pep step sound. And I love that the band... The Pep Stepper, she didn't get a name. She just got to be called a Pep Stepper, but it was Hoyt Ming. And the Pep Steppers, it was a very... Um, an era where it's mostly men playing, and and that's a whole other topic for another time. Uh, pardon me. So in any case, when when Jason, I Jason and I both bonded over this music so intensely that that was what really brought brought us together. We played that music together before we even spoke a word to each other. We met at an old time fiddle jam, and then my my songwriting leanings really they don't go away they stick around with me and the more you listen to a form of music the more that's and you're enrobed in it essentially the more that's going to inform the writing that you're going to be doing so it was kind of um 
invariable that at the end I was going to be writing songs that sounded like old songs because that's all we were listening to. I was going to write old country songs, old bluegrass songs, old time songs. And the first song that Jason and I ever wrote together definitely sounds like something that the Blue Sky Boys would have sung. It's our lyrics, our take on it, but it's very much influenced. And we have no problems with wearing our influences on our sleeve. You know, maybe it might become a criticism for some that it's too obvious the things that you're listening to, but I don't really mind at all because I feel like those influences have been so powerful, whether they're alive or dead influences, and I want to be able to acknowledge them, whether that's speaking their names or acknowledging the impression that they've made on us through the music that we play. So slowly our albums have have the ratio of original stuff as I was writing more and more and more. The ratio of original songs to public domain songs has shifted until finally this last time I was like, I have enough stuff that I love and I would like to put out a whole record of original songs because I don't think of myself as a songwriter, which is a really strange thing for someone who writes songs to say, but I I think of myself as I'm really into early music and I really love playing old-time music and I'm a musician, but I don't think of myself as a songwriter and this last record was a great shift to my head and all the writing that I'm doing now to start framing myself as, oh, I do write songs. And I think part of the reason I didn't think of myself as a songwriter was because they were so steeped in a particular genre and so informed by those things that it just felt like they were an extension of the music we were listening to, not necessarily just my songs. And I'm starting to shift in how I think about that now. It's a very long answer to a very short question. (laughs) I appreciate that answer. And there's, it strikes me that For a song to survive long enough that we don't know who wrote it, Mm. there's got to be something that continues to resonate regardless of generation in that. And and what is that for you in that particular style of music? Is it is 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 it what is that essence of that song that'll last two hundred years? That when you hear it, it sounds fresh and it sounds familiar. And you want to sing it. And you want to sing it. You want it. That's all we're looking for too. So it's, I don't know what it is. I just know it when I hear it. I know when the, the hair on my neck stands up, when I hear a certain line, I know um, if certain words roll out in a certain way. That it's, it's a bunch of different things, but I know that I'm always looking for it. And I, I take it as the greatest sign of a compliment if someone is surprised that we've written the songs that are on the records, if they think that they're traditional songs still. I, I take that as a, as a high form of compliment. I really do. And so those songs, as an extension of, of what you've been... It's, I'm thinking of it almost like it, they're, you've hung out enough in, in that sonic shower yeah. that you're dyed, in that, like, you're, you're dyed that way. It's left its imprint on you. Yeah. And yet the material or, or the particular words are yours. Mm-hmm. Are the... Do those come from a personal place, or are you pulling those themes also from from the water that you're you're soaking in that way? They very much come from a personal place. Um, I don't write stories about. Um, I don't tend to write like obscure murder ballads or stories about railroad wrecks or any of those things that would be one of the more common themes that people would imagine with early old time and bluegrass stuff. I, I tend to more write about the people where we live. It's such a vibrantly. Um, colorful 
world filled with so many characters and it doesn't seem like that you drive into our little town that we live in and it looks quite plain and there's no stoplights and the storefronts are drabby and there's a few vacant buildings and you sort of you look at it and you go oh it it doesn't have a fantastic curb appeal when you drive in but as you get to know the people who are there you realize that this is a place filled with quite extraordinary humans who Everything from our neighbor who was a member of the Swiss Guard uh, at one point in his life and killed a cougar on his back porch with a snow shovel um, through to, oh yeah, man, like there's, there's so many, and I think this is the same thing as any place. If you take the time to be in that place for a while, you are going to find some truly extraordinary people. And so Horsefly is not the exception to the rule, it's just the addition. And for folks who might not be familiar with Horsefly, British Columbia, although their tourism department, I'm sure, is working hard to change that. We don't uh, have one of those. <laughs> how many people live in Horsefly, just for those of us who don't know? Oh. 700 people in about uh, 40 square miles. It's fantastic. <laughs> it, is, it is at the end of a road, so it has a real feel to it. It's, you either came there with intention or you're lost. And um, I think a certain... Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of different types w- want to be out there, whether they're antisocial or they just love being in the woods or they, or they love the independence of it and they love the space. I mean, there's, it's rolling green hills um, and uh, snow-peaked mountains everywhere you look and every critter on the planet is r- right there. There's a lot of logging and mining, but that's the way it is these days. But mostly it's just empty space and lakes and rivers and it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And so for you folks, ending up there, were, did you, were you seeking out the solitude or, or were you lost? Uh, well, Ferris's is, is fifth generation horsefly. Um, yeah, her great-great-grandfather went out there in the 1890s, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I grew up in Northern California, so it was kind of a no-brainer that I would want to move. I grew up in the country as, as well. So we just um, were very lucky and privileged in that we had um, a business, the banjo business, that was, we could live anywhere. We just needed an internet connection and the ability to ship an instrument, and we could really live anywhere. And a workshop. And a workshop, yeah. So we have satellite internet, which is a couple notches above dial-up, but it works. (laughs) I'm with you on the satellite internet train. We got trees all around our place. It's, uh, yeah, it was that or build a 100-foot tower to try to bounce a signal from somewhere. and, And... and so you folks make music not just on stage and not just uh, together while you're playing and at old-time fiddle jams, but you also make musical instruments. Does shaping the sound of an instrument influence the way that you shape the sound of a song? Oh, I, mean, I want to answer that so bad. Um, yes, yeah, and I think a lot of that is because Jason is constantly thinking about banjos. So if I, I, he is thinking about banjos right now. I almost guarantee it. He's heard some tones today, and he's messing them because he's, you know, when you get to a point, and there's a, a few amazing luthiers here at this festival who would have this experience where you can imagine a tone in your head, and you can imagine a particular construction of an instrument that needs to happen in order to create that specific tone. So when I bring a song to Jason and I say, I really want this as a banjo song, 
probably more often than not, the response is, well, I don't have the right banjo to play that song, so I'm probably going to have to build one. It is true. It's totally true. And it's, but it's, well, he'll, he'll substitute whatever he has in his hands at that point. And he can, he, the thing with banjos that are kind of magical is you can take the entire thing apart in 20 minutes and ha- then have it all back together, and you can tweak all of the parts. Everything is moving. It's not glued together as such as a guitar is. So you can adjust. It's the constant tinkerer's instrument. You can constantly adjust how it sounds and change strings and bridges and and head thicknesses and neck angles and all of these really neat things that you can do to make the instrument sound different. And so Jason, because he's constantly thinking about different tones, and especially when I bring him songs that don't have the right he needs a new banjo to play that song on. There's, it's, it's, it definitely, the instruments definitely inform the sound and the approach that we have to the music that we're making. The way that you described a, a banjo that way made me think about a song, how like every, like every piece of a song can be taken apart, whether it's a, whether it's a single word or a single phrasing or one particular note in a fill that, that someone else is playing where it's entirely malleable. And yet, it also comes together in a way that you can put it, uh, in the case of a banjo, put it on a stand, and it's there as a single thing, or a song, put it on an album, and win awards with it. Well, in the, the cool thing about banjos is there's a history around playing banjos in different tunings. There is a history around guitars as well, but the history of playing banjos in different tunings is so old and an integral part of the music where the player would change the tuning of the banjo depending on the key that they sang in, depending on how the fiddle played it, depending on how they were feeling that certain day. And there's hundreds and hundreds of documented old banjo tunings. And because of that, when we're on stage, Jason will use up to three different banjo tunings for C alone. And it's very impractical. (laughs) It's not practical at all. We have to plan an entire set list around the movement of the banjo because it's much easier to tune the banjo in certain directions. Um, And so it it definitely affects how we play live. It affects how we play on records. It affects how I write songs. It's it's all of it. I've... I'm thinking about various jokes I've heard about uh, that would suggest that tuning a banjo at all is Don't do a it. is a challenge. <laughs> Don't do um, it. Now, is it, is it true that there's an Ontario connection with some of the components that you use to build your banjos? I uh, think. Yeah, yeah I've uh, I've had a long relationship with a wonderful person named Bill Ricard, and uh, he he builds he has a banjo company. He's in just out of Toronto. Yeah, and he's been special machining um, certain parts for my banjos for years now. Uh, he's a machinist, and uh, every good, good banjo builder has a really good machinist uh, under his arm somewhere. <laughs> you can't, you can't really do the one without the other. That it it amazes me that Toronto, or yeah, that the outskirts of Toronto, as much as maybe most of Ontario feels like the outskirts of Toronto, if you're from far away, <laughs> um, would have that connection all the way for you folks. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. gonna say like when we're when we're what do I mean I was like Jason you should talk about this thing it's like I don't know what you're talking about so I'll do it anyways um uh that was our whole relationship encapsulated in one little moment right there wasn't it <laughs> um he did say you're the word person what you mean I am the word person but uh when 
our our desire to be connected to the people that we are working with to build with. We don't buy our lumber from a lumber yard. We call up the small mill in Pennsylvania who is milling up the maple and we talk to them about the dimensions that we want. We we like to build these connections and so we're not buying our parts from an instrument wholesaler. We're getting a small family jewelry company to cast them for us or getting Bill Ricard to custom machine them for us and that's that's been the evolution over time as the banjo company has come to the place that it is right now where we have a five or six year wait list for these custom instruments. It's it's nuts. It's amazing. It's Thanks it's for making the time to come to Ontario. Oh my god, man. It's it's like it's job security as self employed people. How lucky we're incredibly lucky. And then we get to come and play music as well. It's it's a magical blending of them. But to have to work with these small producers who are producing such beautiful handcrafted things whether that's a billet of wood that comes out or a set of tuners or whatever it is and then to be able to put that in our instruments there's so many degrees of love that go into making them and connection with the people who contribute to them it's it's very special for us and it's i guess one of the themes that's coming in our conversation here today is the the connection that the music makes even to introduce the two of you to share that music before before you shared anything else Mm -hmm. and also the connection then that that business makes a making a spider web of a supply musical supply chain across North America. Where do you find your particular musical community now that, that you're like, you're playing festival stages in multiple time zones on multiple continents, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and it started from a fiddle jam is, are, are there, st- are you still finding fiddle jams all over the place or how has that relationship to a musical community Evolved for you. I mean, we find our community pretty much wherever every festival we go. We find people that we are drawn to musically and, and otherwise. Um, and Horsefly, you know, physically there isn't much of, of a musical community for us, but we did just um, import um, a bass player, uh, Max Heineman from Lonesome A String Band and Foggy Hogtown Boys, moved to Horsefly. And his wife so is. So a Toronto export? Yes. And his wife is one of the. Is one of our favorite old-time fiddlers. So we have an old-time band in Horsefly now. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but going out to playing all these festivals is where we really get to make these connections with folks that we wouldn't see otherwise because they're busy touring. But uh, we're always making new friends. And I guess if I can close with a question about what it means to be musicians also as parents, <laughs> is, is passing a lot like... Those kids then are going to be steeped in that those traditions in a way that that you were yeah. does that is that something that you take too consciously is that just a rea- reality of life and and how does passing along musical tradition now in a very direct way like is is that a conscious thing or is that just a, a reality i think it's it's just a part of life at at home we just we play music I sit and I play piano with the kids both kids they're five and three both play piano and they love it there's musical instruments lying around every garage sale we go to we buy another beater instrument so the kids can just experiment we have trumpets god save our soul our three-year-old can a three-year-old can blow a trumpet you know uh it's uh, I, I bought an old minerva oh gosh what's it called it's a small tuba 
Um, I, 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 you euphonium? Know, euphonium, that's it. So I bought one of those because it's like, what a fun thing for the kids to have around. It's, we have a cello. We just, it, people give us musical instruments because they know that we're, we're interested in a lot of things. But then, and you're a safe home and, for musical and instruments. And we are a very safe home. We, we totally are. They may get a bit banged up with the kids every once in a while. But because we, this is the first festival this summer since June, and we've played a festival or t- every single weekend and taught a bunch of camps, this is the first festival where we haven't had our kids with us. We usually travel with them. You know, we took them for seven weeks to Europe in the spring. We take them all over the world and traveling with us. They're so exposed to musical community. They think that this is normal. For awesome. Us. Yeah, it is. It's pretty. It's pretty. I mean, right now, Jason and I are purely on vacation. It's great. It's quite wild being here without kids. But they they think that music camp is just something that's fantastic and watching our daughter blossom into this year as a five-year-old going oh all the kids are playing fiddle well i want to do that too and seeing this whole other community develop for her that's her community of kids that hopefully she'll get to meet every year at fiddle camp and we know a bunch of you know young adult kids and that's been their experience and they're they're pretty fantastic kids and the music community means so much to them and i can only hope to pass that on to my kids i don't give a hoot if they play it professionally or what they do i just want them to find something that they love to do in life that's all we care and so we're trying to set the best example we can because we really do love what we get to do and how often are are folks trying to teach their kids to play well with others and you're literally teaching them to play well with others that's a hope right (laughs) ferris and jason thank you so much for making time out of out of your festival to come chat with us if we were going to play one of your songs to a- end this interview on the radio what song should we play oh gosh um let's see i would probably play a song called um old world style it's a feeling it's a it's a ballad uh with a little bit of a a subtle yodel in it but it was dedicated to all of the cowboys who live in the really wide open western space to the west of us kind of where we go to get away from it all (laughs) out in the Chilcotin. so that's yeah i'd say old world style we'll play that right now ferris and jason thanks for joining us on georgian bay roots thanks for having us See the belly shifting sands of time There's an ebb and flow from your door to mine Even wanderings of in rhyme I'm a salty cowboy in the soul style I'm a rambling rover with far to go I'm a headed up the country over the hills I go Stay 